Welcome everyone to Seek Go Create. Tim Winders here, your host, coming at you today from somewhere near Rapid City, South Dakota. The weather's beautiful. We're in deep in summer here. I don't know when you're listening in, but this is a great time of year. We love hanging out in this part of the country. Very beautiful. Great conversation today. I've got a conversation with someone who's built, co-founded uh, an organization that's now franchised in uh, I saw anywhere from 100 to 150 locations. We'll clarify that as we get started here. And uh, started the business, co-founded the business a few years back out of a garage in California. Love those stories. Going to be talking a lot about business, a lot of overcoming, a lot of what it takes to build, and possibly some opportunities for some of you that might be looking for business yourself. I love having these conversations. We'll get to the guest in just a moment. Before we do that, quick reminder, make sure that you visit SeekGoCreate.com. That's our website, SeekGoCreate.com. We take conversations like this today where we talk a lot of business, we talk a lot of details, and we have someone transcribe all those notes, put it in outline form, put a timestamp so that you're listening. if you're listening to this in your car, and need to go back to one section or to listen to where we talk about something about building your own business via franchise, then you could go back to that exact moment when we're talking about it, click on it and listen to it again later, take notes or re-listen to it. I love that we're able to provide that feature now. So make sure you go to seekgocreate.com and check all of that out. Today, I've got Michael Andriaki as our guest. He's the CEO and co-founder of Junk King LLC. In 2005, let's see, we're getting to us about 18 years ago now, 17, 18 years ago, Michael co-founded Junk King out of his two-car garage in San Carlos, California. I think that's kind of funny. He's in his garage where there's probably some stuff, maybe some junk, and he founded Junk King. We'll talk about that later. Today, Michael and his team have franchised more than 150 locations across the U.S. and Canada. Michael, welcome to Seek Go Create. Yeah, thank you. Happy to be here. Appreciate glad, it. Glad to be here. Real quick, give me the number. How many locations do you have right now? Ironically, we were counting them yesterday, so I think it's 167 or 168. I had my daughter in the office, and she <laughs> likes she likes putting the stickers on the map, so we uh, got it got it up to speed. So I think it was 167. Cool. Well, we so we've got the current most up to date info right now. Yeah, because I saw something might be a little bit dated on one of your websites. It said over 100 and then i saw something that said 150 well glad we got that settled because that's important but michael let's get started with my favorite question and this is like open-ended but if i just bumped into you on an airplane or we're just out and about chit-chatting and i say michael what do you do what's your go-to what do you typically tell people when they ask what do you do oh i would for sure tell them about junk king um live breathe junking for the last 17 years as you mentioned um you know you'd love to tell them that you're about uh, meeting people and building relationships and customer service and raising your family but i think at the end of the day uh, if someone asked me what i did i would uh, definitely uh explain junking or bring up junking and, and explain what we do there from a junk removal perspective um, it's probably how i would answer that yeah, that's uh, and and you know I, I I I was reading up on the story and I almost chuckled a little bit because you know how many times have we heard these stories, especially out of California where you are, about people starting these businesses in garages, <laughs> and and it seems like a lot of them are kind of tech type companies, but uh, but 
Junk King, is it exactly what it sounds like? Uh, yeah, well, I think some people default that we just go around and pick up junk and repurpose and resell and kind of <clears throat> go to garage sales or warehouse sales and find junk because there's some of those um, reality television shows where they're repurposing junk so we can get confused in that. But we're full service hauling and junk removal business. We come out to your house uh, with two to three individuals on a truck. You tell us what items you want hauled away. Um, we do all the work for you, load the stuff into the truck, uh, charge you on volume, um, and then repurpose, recycle everything that we can. So we still have that element to it. And then as the years has kind of evolved, we've gone into self-service where we'll drop off a dumpster. Um, so the consumer can load the dumpster at their convenience as they're sorting their garage. It is a little more cost effective um, to do the self-service versus the full service and um, looking at other opportunities around there as well. Yeah, that's good. I'm going to I'm going to I want to back up a little bit. I'm going to ask one quick favor logistic. That microphone, if you could pull it away from your mouth just a little yeah, about right there. It's popping just a little bit. Perfect. Yeah, I think better? that yeah, I think that'll do it. I think it was a little close to your mouth and it was we get a little pop and I just wanted for the listener not to man cuz it was coming a little hot, but it's perfect. Sounds good. So, okay. all right, I want to back up, Michael, because I love origin stories. I love how things get going. But see, I don't really think that the origin story starts at the day that you're in your garage and said, hey, listen, we need to start this company. I think people have got a lot of junk and we could help them get rid of it. I want to back up a little bit and tell me a little bit about Michael, whatever you want to share Growing up, you know, were you in an entrepreneurial family? Were, well, you know, what kind of got your juices flowing that said one day you're going to do something on your own? No, that, that's a great question. I don't think I ever had the mindset early on of one day I'm going to do something on my own. Always expected to go to school and then get a job. I was actually a criminal justice major. Um, but when you go back to my childhood, um, everything was revolved around sports. Um, you know, just I played college football, so just the team, the camaraderie, the leadership, the working together as a team. Then I wrestled at one point, and you're kind of looking at yourself, and it's very individual. Can't point fingers, um, and it's it's a team. Still has a team score, but you have to win your individual match. Um, so I've just always kind of grown up that way. I mowed lawns on the weekends to try to make ends meet for, you know, high school money. Um, my, my dad uh, sold insurance and my mom was an office assistant um, for many years. So never really owned their own businesses. I would say very middle class um, family. And then but I've always been kind of a leader. I mean, I don't talk about myself much, but here we are. So I've always been kind of a leader, um, whether it was on the football field, um, as far as being a captain or leading the team or whatever the case may be. So I've maybe inherently had that in me um, to lead individuals. Um, and so then I was working in the space of junk removal and uh, thought, gosh, this is a brilliant idea. And there's ways that maybe we could do it a little bit differently, add a sophomore as software aspect to it, um, bigger trucks, trucks that stand out more, recycle and repurpose more, maybe better customer service. Of course, every company says that. Um, but we felt like we could focus on those things. Um, but yeah, looking at my childhood, I moved a lot. Um, unfortunately, once when I was 14, my family jumped around to Oregon and back and then back up to Oregon and then back down here. And when we moved back, 
those different areas. It's always new individual. That was never a problem um, to meet new friends, to relate to my coaches, um, to become a leader in, in being at a place for a year. And you're all of a sudden, you know, focusing on helping lead the baseball team or whatever it was. It just kind of came inherently to me, I think. So what part you said, I think Northern California, right? Is that, so when you say moving around, you were like going from Northern California up to Oregon and back. Is that kind of a, a lot of the yeah. movement? Yeah. Yeah. From age of 14, I grew up in San Carlos, actually where we started the company when I was 25. So um, we moved to Corvallis, Oregon for my seventh and eighth grade year. Um, freshman year, we moved back um, to the Bay Area, but we moved to South San Francisco, which was about 20, 15 miles north of San Carlos. So then I had to meet new people. I still kept in touch with some of my friends. They weren't that far away, but your everyday life in school was completely new. Didn't know an individual my freshman year of high school. Back to Oregon again my sophomore year and then back down my junior, senior year. Um, then junior college where you don't know anybody. And then, you know, I went to Illinois State for a bit, didn't know anyone. So you're just kind of jumping around and making life happen. So one thing that's interesting, because we'll talk about leadership development. We, we talk about leadership a lot here on the podcast. One of the things that always fascinates me when I speak to someone like yourself who kind of gives this statement that they just were a leader early on, and and then we can't quite pinpoint exactly what it is. You know, I'm sure you've heard the argument, are, are leaders born or are they made? And the reason I bring it up is because you guys look for leadership potential in the expansion of your business, correct? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think when you when now it's all come to me now, maybe as we're sitting here talking, but um, I don't like to lose and I like to succeed. Um, so I think in, in that you're, you're trying to say, okay, how do we win this game? Whether it's a board game, whether it's tag, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, whatever you're trying to do, if you don't like to lose, but yet I'm very vocal and a social individual. And if I feel like we could do something better then I have no problem saying it, even if I'm wrong. So um, I think that's kind of what's made me, be vocal, be a leader, but yet you have to get the best out of people and you don't want to be the one yelling at people for making mistakes. You want to keep them up if they do. Um, and I've always just kind of been that way. Hmm. It's never to point fingers. It's like, all right, next time, you know, maybe we can do X, Y, or Z, um, to overcome this. Um, so yeah. And we're looking for leaders every day. It's very hard to pinpoint when you're looking for franchisees, um, that you think will be good leaders. Uh, we would like franchisees to open territories that they're they're from um, because of the networking and the relationships that you've already built uh, throughout the community to go into a market, which sometimes we have. We have some very successful franchisees that say, oh, uh, X market is available. I want to go start a company there and because it's such a good market overall. Uh, may not be the best because they don't know anyone there, right? And and mm. it's good to get into a market where you know people, you have people advocating for you, um, trying to help you promote and sell your business, uh, find employees, like all of the above. Yeah. So I, I'm still I'm I'm sorry. I'm this this leadership thing. I want us to drill down a little more on this because it's uh, some of this stuff is very difficult to pinpoint. And I look across the horizon, Michael, and I see 
some great leaders, and I'm talking about in all areas. I'm not talking about just sure. business, but all areas. And then I see some that I'm just going, oh, my gosh, we've got, we've got some real issues. You mentioned the, the competitive nature that you don't like to lose, which the flip-flop of that means you would like to win. But I, I've actually seen people that they hate to lose more than they actually like to win. Because once they win, it's almost like they go, yeah, great, now our next game, match, whatever, i got to make sure I don't lose again. <laughs> so, right. so what? I mean, have, have you seen people? I mean, I don't know if you've got 167, but, yeah, I know you've got a certain number of people. Do you see that in others also? Is that just... Uh, something that's uh, uncommon with you. What about that don't like to lose characteristic? Well, I think it, you know, like I'm a big sports fan. So if you look at the Warriors, for example, or anything you're doing, if you lose, it carries with you until you have a chance to win. And there's so many things that will remind you of that loss um, throughout time. So it just hurts and sticks longer versus a win that you got to win. It was euphoric. That night was great and you had fun. And then you kind of get back to work. You're not reminded of the negatives as often or the positives versus the negatives. And so, so losing just hurts um, more. So you tried to avoid that, I think, um, at all costs. Um, Franchisees, I think with Junking, the core of it is getting involved in the community um, in giving back, which is also a leadership role um, to offer leadership in, you know, helping nonprofits or helping a realtor, you know, uh, do their job better, property manager, contractor, whoever we're trying a lot of leadership and making sure our teams do a really good job so that they call us back and the ones that take very small levels of leadership because there's big levels of leadership where you're like i'm the ceo and i control these aspects of the company but the guy who runs our truck with two people on it is is just as strong a leader in many cases because they're up front with the with the consumer. So there's so many different levels of leadership. You could talk about leadership for days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And sometimes it has a title attached to it, and sometimes it doesn't. And I'm more I many times am more fascinated with that person that's in a leader role that doesn't have the authority of. CEO or COO or whatever, just because that's where, I mean, I think that's more pure and uh, it sounds like you kind of had that. All right. So, so let's fast forward a little bit coming up to, you said you, uh, you mentioned two, two jobs. You said you were cutting grass and then you had some other things that went on and then you were doing some things in the junk business. And, um, and what year was this? Was this like, uh, you know, 17 yeah, so plus years ago or when? There, yeah, there's a big space between there. So I, you know, in sixth, seventh, eighth grade or whatever, would mow all my neighbor's lawns and collect money. So I think that was some entrepreneurial spirit of trying to get new accounts and, and doing those things without knowing it, right? I was just trying to make a few bucks. My aunt and uncle lived down the let street. Me one, and let me ask one quick question with that, Michael. Does having money in your pocket, does that have something to do with not losing? I'm always fascinated with the relationship of money with business and entrepreneurs because you know, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, there's a lot of kids that are sitting around doing nothing. Right. Absolutely. I just, like, absolutely I nothing. Wanted, what was it that drove you? I wanted money to buy things that I enjoyed. Um, and then certainly then that evolved into freshman, sophomore year of high school. And then you're going out with your friends on the weekend and you need $40. You're, you can't, I couldn't always ask my parents. They didn't, 
uh, all with them. Of course, they give me money, but I would I like to have it on my own for McDonald's or um, maybe a case of beer or something, depending on your age. Um, or when I was little, uh, you know, baseball cards I collected or just things that I wanted you needed money for. Um, and my parents weren't the type. You know, I'd get a budget for school shoes, right? And if I wanted nicer ones, I, you know, had to fork up 20 bucks or something. So, yeah, I think money drives a lot. It does offer a little bit of, you know, stress reliever to have money. And I also didn't sit around. I never was a video game guy. Um, it drives me crazy that my kids will sit on an iPad and they have a beautiful backyard that they can go play on. Um and they learn a little bit from it. Sure. There's, there's levels of, you know, watching highlights in sports or, or, you know, there's so many levels of YouTube, of course, as you know, but um, if they're stuck just watching these silly videos, it just drives me nuts. Cause that's just never been my personality as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, so after doing lawns and mowing lawns and doing all that, I, I got a job at a car parts store where I would stock, um, the warehouse um and i could work whenever i wanted it was just a great opportunity i could work for two hours eight hours two weeks one week six months straight um so the flexibility was amazing um and i was like in charge of uh having the shelves prepared for any of the items that would come in so i'd renumber them and make sure there's enough space on the shelf so i didn't have a, a daily job there where they if i didn't show up it didn't really affect anything but yet I would take different parts of this 30,000 square foot warehouse and reorganize it for lack of a better term. Um, so I did that a long time. And then I, I got lost that job because I was young, dumb and ignorant. Um, and then uh, found a fit. My actually my girlfriend, who's my wife now, very funny story. I said, you know, I'm at my seventh school, college, university slash junior college. I went to seven different got um, transcripts from seven schools. And I said, I just need to finish. Like I got to focus and finish, get my major. And, and she, for whatever reason, didn't like that idea. So about within a week, she said, you have an interview tomorrow. And I said, well, I don't have a resume. How could I possibly have an interview? She said, I did it for you, applied online, show up at this place. So it was at in the junk space um, for our biggest competitor um, out there. And I worked for them back in 2000 three, four, um, for about six months, um, did very well in the interview, showed up in a suit and tie, which today when drivers come in, we've yet to have one, maybe one out of maybe, maybe two or three out of the last, you know, 15 years where someone came up for to drive a junk cut truck and were in a suit and tie and could communicate well and do all those things. But I guess that's just the way I was raised. So I got hired. Um, worked in that space for about six months and just thought it was an amazing opportunity. Looked at joining their franchise system, um, didn't have the money, one. And two, um, the territory availability was somewhere where I didn't know anybody. So I thought that would be really silly to open a business where I don't know a soul. Um, so we did it on our own. So I, I love these stories, and we kind of moved over it quick, but I love these stories. I, I tend to do that. I apologize. No, 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 no. That's fine. It's beautiful because, because my job is to dig a little more on a part of the story that has value. And the part that's so interesting to me, and I've heard this time and time again, Michael, is something to the effect of my wife, my girlfriend, 
she did this and 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 it's on the flip side too when I'm talking with sure. a female obviously but it's interesting and and you know I I think many times we have to go back and show the uh, appreciation for someone that pushed a little more that did something that was a little uncomfortable and all and and uh so so that's pretty cool she must have did she see something in you or did she just want you to start get start working again she has been she so my wife was born in el salvador um moved to sweden when she was three and had a job since she she can remember and came to the states and then worked in the bookstore and just always worked so i think maybe looking back at it she maybe thought i was kind of down and out or just depressed on like, I got to finish school sports are over. I kind of hung those cleats up, you know, a few months before that, um, I just lost my job and, and said, okay, I want to minimize my life from study hall and weightlifting and, and job and all those other things to just focus. Um, I think she probably thought I was capable of more of that and, um, kind of help push that situation. I, I don't know where I'd be without her today. We've been married for 15 years now, two beautiful children. So she is definitely the rock here. So can't imagine what she's been through the last 15 years as far as Junk King goes. Yeah. And and sometimes I don't know that we address that enough. The, the spouse, partner, whatever in a business and entrepreneurial startup and things like that. But I'm glad we paused a little bit just to make sure we got a little bit more of how critical she was in this, uh, this startup, this origin story. So, so I, yeah, I wanted... let's back up real quick. So, I mean, I didn't make any money the first two years, you know, you're just grinding it out, working on trucks and trying to make customers happy and at least get your company to break even. Um, there was no profit there. I mean, very little, right? Yeah. We had profit of course, but not enough to like come home and provide, everything that I would with a regular job. Um, so she supported me. She was in uh, corporate America marketing and, and kind of supported us as a whole as far as rents and, and those things. So, yeah, that's nice. We, we Now she she can relax a little bit more than having to support me. But and then you fi- finally made enough to uh, to 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 get married. It sounds like y'all married a few years after it started, right? We did. Yes. You were waiting. I bet you were waiting. I bet in your mind you were saying, I got to get this going so that we can get married. Is that what you were thinking? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, no, it was just the right time and place, I think. But yeah. Yeah. All right, Michael, let's go. I want to talk uh, kind of big picture for a second on the industry before we kind of dive in and talk some specifics about what what you guys are doing and what some other people can do that might interact and work with you. Talk about I mean, listen, I've got friends who own storage facilities. I, I, at one point, we were in a big old house, six, 7,000 square feet full of stuff. And now I live, of course, in 400 square feet in an RV. Most, most of what I own is right here. But, you know, you look over the landscape, and especially in America, first world, people have massive amounts of stuff. <laughs> so we are, we are consumers, and the more space we have... I remember I moved into a house once I was moving into a bigger house and my uncle at the time was moving into a smaller house. And he said, he's taking a 10 pound bag of rocks and moving it into a three pound house. And I was going from three to 10. Um, and somehow when I left the 10, I I had a 10 pound bag of rocks, maybe 11 pounds. Like you just fill the space with crap 
because you may need it someday for that one situation. I, I guess my tool shed, I'll never throw a tool out or a screw because you may need it someday. But at the end, it's nice to purge and clean your life out. Um, and the more I've owned, owned junking that I, I do get rid of things now more often um, because I've seen people do that or unfortunately people pass away and the family comes in and they're like, what are we going to keep? And they keep like five things um, in this whole 4,000 square foot house because we are just consumers and we want to keep up with the Joneses or we, our kids need this new bat or glove or shoes or book for school and we want them to have the best you know and you're not going to go buy them the smallest ipad because god forbid someone in class has a bigger one or it doesn't work as fast or so we're just consumers um and we hoard a lot of junk and the, and, the bu- and the business world is really good at feeding that frenzy you know, I'm a marketing guy. I work with business. You see a lot of stuff. And it's like, we're really good at making Joe and Sally think they don't really need just one big screen TV. How many do they need? Right. Five. Five one of in them. Every, one in every room or something. Yeah, and then it makes two two years from now when they're about to watch the Super Bowl, for some reason, they can't watch it on any of those five they need one that's bigger, and then I guess they have to get rid of or do something with one or two or three of those. Uh, it is a, I mean, I, I look at a business like yours and I'm going genius because I look at my, my buddies that own storage facilities and those places are packed because we know what people do. They fill up all their rooms, they fill up all their drawers and all their closets, and then right. they fill up, if they've got a basement, lower level cellar or whatever, they fill that up. And they fill up their garage, so much so that there's no room for what should go in a garage. (laughs) There's so much sentimental value behind this stuff. A real-life situation, my grandparents passed away. My mom and her brothers and sisters kept some items um, that they needed for themselves. And then they got a storage unit, put everything else in the storage unit. And their thought literally was the grandkids like myself and my cousins would need this stuff someday, the dining table or the, the China hope chest or the whatever. And by now, like we want, our wives want, or mine wants more modern looking things. They want to decorate their own house. It may not match the decor, all these things. So you pay 15 years for a storage unit that you literally never use, but you just don't want to, throw things away because you may need them someday or, or your kids may or somebody may. Um, it's a interesting dynamic and it's 100% marketing um, of the way we've been influenced. Even as I mentioned earlier, you watch streaming TV or any TV or whatever, there's marketing. Um, and all of the marketing is for you to buy something. Sure. 90%, and 90% so, of it. And so you step into this business, uh, you, you started doing it 2003. Did you see the potential immediately or is it something that you got into, you were just good at it, you identified things? Or did you see that's like, man, people got a bunch of stuff. We could do this business and just make some money. I mean, what, what was your kind of thought process early on? It was kind of both. Um, I, I just couldn't believe how much revenue trucks were, were making every day or the truck that I was on. Um, so it was certainly 
a revenue piece, but I was pretty ignorant from a business perspective and didn't understand all the expenses behind that revenue, um, you know, as far as variable costs or fixed costs and marketing and rents and all those things. They certainly weren't making as much as what the guys on the trucks may think. Um, but yeah, there was just that piece of there's just so much opportunity here and people are paying us to haul junk away um, that there was only one competitor, one person doing it. Um, and so it felt like there was more, uh, there. Um, so yeah, I mean, kind of just jumped into let's, let's look into this and let's join the team and let's figure out how we can do it. But I saw it from right away. Um, the, mm -hmm. the opportunity there, um, and what people are willing to pay you to free their space, um, from a consumer side and the B2B side is even, has more opportunity because they're trying to make money. So they want to make their lives a little bit easier. And they're, you know, if, if you're a realtor, for example, if you can handle all the junk removal for the customer and sell their house for a little bit more, um, turn that house over faster and get it on the market faster, all those little things, that's their business that they want to do a really good job of. So we have to be a really good vendor for them. Um, in the consumer house, they can push things out a week more till the husband or wife starts yelling, when are you getting rid of all that stuff on the side of the house? Um, we hear that quite often. But yes, just saw so much of that opportunity there from the beginning. So we see uh, the accumulation. What's interesting is that myself, personally, I would fit into more of a essentialist minimalist. Maybe it is now because I've kind of gone against the grain of let's just call it culture and marketing and and you got to work hard to do it i'm telling you if you if you don't push against it you're going to look around and you got stuff everywhere but oh, i commend uh, you i was talking to my wife yesterday that we got to turn the hall closet into a shoe closet um <laughs> because we're like fighting for space um for shoes uh in our closet and i love shoes but to do it in 400 square feet, like I commend that. Um, there's a piece of you that says maybe later in life I'll minimal. Because I'll, I'll, I, I kind of went the opposite into a bigger place than you have like downsize. And I can appreciate that. Uh, yeah. So, but there's a lot of people that are at some point, and, I, and I'm going to have you walk through the problems you solve as a business. Because you mentioned a few already, you know, when someone passes or someone makes a decision. Now, it seems like there's people in different stages of life that kind of need this. It And it doesn't seem like people just wake up one day and nothing's really changed in their life and they make a change. You know, for us, we made a change when our businesses tanked after 08. You know, we were going to have to do something with our house. We were struggling with a lot of things financially. And we kind of looked around and says, oh, my gosh, what do we do with all this stuff if all of a sudden we become nomads or something like that. But go through the different problems that this type business solves. And I guess the type people or whatever that would be customers. Yeah, no, I, we feel like anybody that is probably of the age of 25 and older, 28 and older, um, where they have a little bit of liquid uh, to be able to pay for the junk removal services. But when a customer calls us, you want to recognize right away from a customer service perspective why they're calling you. They're all calling you to get rid of their junk, of course. Um, but is it time? Is time a challenge for them, i.e. they're getting evicted, they're moving, um, they're doing a remodel, um, they're trying to sell a house. Some of those things are very time sensitive. 
and they'll call us because something in their life changed from a, a time perspective and they just have to get this junk out by this time kind of a lot like you were explaining um others uh you know price is very important to them and what it's going to cost to haul these things away and i think they're getting pressure from boss to clean out the this space of the office or a husband or wife at home um i think during the pandemic people were uh, you know, trying to find a place to work from home or for their kids to study at home. Um, so that is that's time sensitive situation as well. But you also they needed to be very cost effective. Um, and the most important now to me is kind of what is junking going to do with this stuff? And people ask that very often. What are you going to and time isn't as important to them. Price isn't as important. It's more where is it going in the environment? Where are you going to dump this stuff or dispose of these items that I'm giving you? Can it go back to somebody else in need? Um, and so we focus on those things with each individual customer based on their pressure points. Um, but there's many reasons that people can, can need junk removal. Um, many reasons. Yeah. So, so I think it's a good time to talk about that because you know, one of the things that's going on, I mean, let's just kind of go back to TVs. I mean, there's just like TVs that are being produced. And then what do you do with an old one? Or that may not be a good example, but, uh, you know, there's where I'm, I'm right now here just outside of Rapid City. In Rapid City, there's a lot of land around here, okay? And it's not super crowded. But yet, there's a drive that I go in when I go into downtown, when my wife and I go to a dinner or something like that, that over to the left, there's the landfill that is you know handles i guess this metro area and it's it's probably now i'm in the black hills so there's some nice mountains around here but you know it's one of the higher hills in the area and that is not uncommon then all of a sudden you go to an area like you're in which is the bay area and there's just massive amounts of people in reality where does all this stuff go and what does your organization do to maybe help a little bit with that process yeah. So when you're in an area where we are, we use a lot of transfer stations. So we'll bring them to those stations. They have big trucks that then bring the materials out to landfills. At the end, any junk that gets to the transfer station, of course, the transfer station will do some sorting and recycling on their own to try to touch that footprint a little bit. And then they take it um, to the landfill. But we I guess, I mean, I don't want to say they're not recycling. They are recycling and doing their best efforts. It's just harder on a bigger scale. And we're touching everything by hand, most everything, which we kind of pride ourselves in. So if guys are putting something in a truck by hand or, or consumers putting something in a smaller dumpster, we can see the metal that's in there. We touch the metal. So we know that that scrap metal and needs to be recycled or washers and dryers and white goods and some of those other items as well as cardboard and um, certain types of plastic, certainly electronic waste. Um, and then things that you're like, this is just in really good shape. We should be giving this to some nonprofit um, or donation center of that sort. So we really, really try hard. Um, although it's not super cost effective, to be quite honest with you, to recycle. I understand that we all want to. And I've seen the hills. <clears throat> we have a landfill near us, and I've watched them go from this hill, move over, and then make another hill, and then move over and make another hill. 
Um, and you start to wonder where they're going to start putting all this stuff eventually. Um, so you try to minimize that because you, you just see, you see it happen in real time. Um, and so we try to recycle to the best of our abilities um, on many levels. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize how I think they have this. <laughs> let's just don't even look at people that get rid of large quantities, but let's just say people that have their recycling bin and their trash bin. And they put things in the recycling bin and they take it out to an, another bin and it gets picked up. And then I think they believe some magic happens. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I, I, get a little, I can get cynical about this, too, because I, I, I want us to take care of this environment, this world we're in. But I also know, and you probably see it, maybe you can share a little bit about this, that on the scale that we're talking about, we're talking about some tough things we're dealing with. I mean, there's people that are getting rid. I'm thinking about my parents right now. My uh, my father, we recently put him into a facility. He's got a long-term memory care issues. And my mother's in a pretty good-sized house with a bunch of stuff that we're going to have to get rid of at some point. Because I don't want it. My sister doesn't want right. it. We'll get rid of it. And we might try to sell it. But truthfully, I don't think anybody wants to buy it. And I don't think any of us want it. So it's going to be, I think that's the, I mean, you're, you're different than most because everybody, most think their stuff is all worth something. Um, and be, maybe that's part of the downsizing thing, but like you could go bring a couch to Goodwill, Salvation Army, some of those things. And they may ask you first question, do you have any pets? Yeah, we have, we have a dog or a cat. All right. This, the allergies, whatever it's got to go versus you know in our space we can maybe list that you know for pennies on the dollar and let people know that and they're like well i already have six cats so i don't mind a couch that had a cat on it before um but they're not going through those processes um i think most a lot of people feel like their stuff is is worth something because it's sentimental to them and it means something and they've made enough change to get a new sofa um, but the old one still kind of, it works. There's no scratches on it. It's nice. It cost them two grand five years ago. And it's just, unfortunately, there's not a lot of value in it just because of the way, you know, we've talked before is that we're consumers, people want new things. And so you try to get those in the right hands, but it, it can be difficult and hard to do. Yeah. And even, even something like, let's just look at China. When we were trying to clear out, when we were downsizing, we actually went to my parents and did some too, Michael. We thought China, you know, this was grandma's China. It's got some value. And my wife is great at researching stuff. We ended up, there's some place up in Greensboro, North Carolina called replacements.com. It's a big operation. Seven right. football fields of warehouses up there that they take like a broken a teacup. So that if someone breaks it, they've got it. Anyway, we loaded stuff up, took it up there and barely got enough to pay for the gas. Right. <laughs> so, so one big question, then we'll move off this because I want to talk about the opportunity that someone has with, with uh, Junk King if they want to look at it and maybe some of the business aspects of it. Big picture with like the um, environmental stuff and recycling, is it, are we winning or are we losing? You mentioned competition earlier. If from your seat, is it a losing battle or are we getting a little bit ahead of it? And and there's no right or wrong answer. This is not like a political uh, no, no, no. I think, I think it's a good question because for us to recycle cardboard or metal or plastics or so, those are all run by the stock market, right? And who's buying it and who's 
sorting it and recycling it and doing all those things, we certainly don't have a big metal yard that we're, you know, scrapping metal and sending it to China or wherever it goes. Um, so you're controlled by that. And if we're getting paid pennies on the dollar for it, um, sometimes it's more cost effective to just pay to dump it. Right. And you just don't want to do that. Now the swing is nice. Um, that you're not paying for the dump, but you're getting pennies on one side, but then you have labor, which has increased um, tremendously over the last, uh, you know, five to 10 years. Um, so I'd say we're trying. Um, I go to people's houses who have green bins and, and they recycle a lot and, and it means so much to them. I'm also in California, in the Bay Area, um, and Oregon was the other part of my life where recycling is very important um, to most of us. Um, other parts of the country or franchisees that I talk to where they have more land um, don't always see it the same way. So I would say it's six of one, half dozen of another, and you'd like to do more. And I think Junking tries to continue to do more. Um, and that's why we make it mandatory to have warehouse space. We don't need warehouse space to hold our, you know, handful of tools that we need and to meet guys in the morning. A lot of it is how are you repurposing materials um, overall? Yeah. So is there, uh, so we know there's a profit model for people coming to you to get rid of stuff. Is there profit or is it break even on that side of where you get rid of, or is it just, that's just part of what you have to do is to get rid of it? I think it's probably close to break even. Um, mm. But again, you're saving on a dump fee yeah. with, with recycling those materials. So you're getting pennies on the dollar there. So those two combined are nice. Um, and you can sometimes the transfer stations for us or dumps are, are further away where we could have warehouses that are closer. So then our time management is a little bit more efficient, our windshield time with trucks. Um, if we could sell a couple items, pennies on the dollar can make it get little bit too but it's not a profit stream nobody in our system is like putting their kids through college on reselling material alone um it's just that wouldn't be possible um we definitely need the revenue stream from charging consumers to pick up the junk but we also find a responsibility to not just go dump it all um is is kind of our model yeah i get it does anything change with your strategy when fuel prices go up by 50% or 30% uh, in a short well, short period of time, not to timestamp when, when we're talking. No, but, well, yeah. I mean, even, you know, some of our franchises that have one truck and they're driving all over town, that can be difficult for them. Um, with us at where I have multiple, you know, your time is, uh, windshield time is much more efficient. So you can go from job to job within a, a direct area while you have another truck doing the same thing. When you have one or two trucks, you're jumping all over town. And that can be cost effective. Um, we did add a short term gas surcharge um, and we didn't want to raise our prices because when you raise your prices, nobody ever reduces their prices ever. Um, so we added it as a surcharge with the the hope that we can you know, take it off um, here in the near future. But yeah, the gas has affected the bottom line for sure it, it affects you when you uh crank up a 40-foot rv and decide to drive six seven eight hundred miles too it's part of the process we're thinking through it's like huh are we going to go to yellowstone if they're 
not open, maybe we'll just stick around where we are and do a shorter trip. So, all right, Michael. Yeah, that fill that thing can be expensive, I would believe. Uh, yeah, I have to sit there multiple times just hitting it and then watching the credit card going, man, I hope I don't get a phone call from the credit card company. But right. um, so, Michael, at some point, uh, and I love these stories, and so I'm, I almost chuckle when I see them. Um, you started your own thing. You, you got a co-founder. You said you started it out of a garage. Did you did you do your garage first? Did you like get the junk out of your garage first? Yeah, probably. Well, I already kind of worked in the space, so I you know maybe took a few things home before that. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, we just really just we bought a truck, and we're all about customer service and networking within our community. We didn't have a website for two years. Um, which now everything is done on the web it's amazing how things can change so quickly as far as consumers finding you it's all mobile to mobile device search and those things but um so we we say we ran it out of our garage but the tools were in the garage or the some of the it kind of filled up quick with the desks and dressers and things we thought we would donate and give back or resell um so we just our roommates were like, hey, guys, you've literally taken this garage over um, at this point. So then we moved into a warehouse within a month or two. Um, well, I was just checking the story because I hear that a lot. And I just want to make sure, you know, from an integrity standpoint, that it really did originate out of a garage. 100%. And that just wasn't part of your startup story. We, we, we parked our truck at the church down the street um, because we were on a narrow street and the truck was too big to park there overnight. I mean, cars couldn't get by. Um, so it's, it's absolutely true. Um, I mean, we, we did, I think bite the bullet and buy a beautiful truck from the beginning, which my dad told me I was crazy. Like, why don't you get a pickup truck or a used truck? And I said, no, we need the, the brand and the flat sides and the red and the logo and all of that on the truck. So we spent a lot of money on a brand new truck without $1, um, or one customer. Uh, so I don't think we were going to go get a warehouse quite that soon. So it was absolutely out of the garage and then relatively quickly, um, you know, drove revenues and needed the warehouse and a second truck. And then it's just kind of evolved from there. What was the biggest challenge during those early, that early stage before you started the expansion to different locations? What was the biggest hurdle you had to overcome? You know, it's a good question. I think the bigger hurdles were more in the expansion, like deciding to franchise, because we were just having so much fun. We were young, you know, so you would say, gosh, I was working six days a week, loading junk trucks every day, you know, starting at 7 a.m. till 5 p.m. at night, but my body could handle that. So maybe there were some days where you'd want to take a weekend off or something. Um, but we were both pretty driven in networking and trying to make the phone ring. Um, I would say maybe that was a challenge, answering the phone uh, while on the truck, you know, trying to have good customer service and some of those things. But we were probably oblivious to the rest and, you know, just jobs on the schedule, go get them all done and try to do it again the next day and keep scale, scale, scale. I think more of the challenge came when you want to kind of expand into franchising and how do you do that and who do you what attorneys do you use and all those other things is where some of the bigger mistakes and challenges were made what what does the you know i'm sitting here thinking you started in you know oh five I, I think back to the companies we had that were real estate related in oh five and then oh eight comes along I'm, I mean, you still need people to pay for what they're doing, but what do up and down cycles in the economy do for your industry? 
So I've always said we're resi re recession resistant um, since franchising, because in 2008, 9, 10, we went through um, that first recession and we kind of just focused more on, unfortunately, foreclosures and people downsizing their businesses. And it just our company always grew year over year. Um, could we have grown more? Probably if we didn't go through that time. Um, and then during the pandemic, being an essential company and, uh, you know, obviously still having growth, but not really and going through some of those down points, those first, you know, March, April of it, of, of regrouping a little bit, but we had been through it before, or I had been through it before. You kind of have to pivot a little bit. Um, and, junk's essential you know people can't have fire hazards they can't you know have rot inf rodent infestation there's all those things that you got to get the junk taken out of your house um or or it's a mess so so that's interesting think, to me hold on i had never thought of this and this may show my little bit of skepticism with the whole thing that went on with the pandemic is so so your business was considered an essential and i'm not i'm not arguing with it but i'm saying you so you were essential during that time so you were working y'all never slowed down or stopped never stopped we had uh three or four franchises that decided to stop on their own because they were really worried about the pandemic of course um most of us because we're in california so we kind of hit the way sooner than the rest of the country which was good from a corporate perspective to kind of put strategy down on paper um we had all our crews coming in at different times um so the same two people were the only two that would ever see each other um, and then they were driving around on a truck and we'd call customers in advance and they would open their garage or tell you on the side, everything was done via the phone, um, stay very far away from customers. Are we as essential as first responders and nurses and doctors and all them? Absolutely not. Like not even close. I would never argue that. Um, and I appreciate them a hundred percent, but there was a way of just still kind of driving revenues and people now saying, my kids have to study from home. I got to get rid of this stuff or I got to clean out the garage so I can have workspace. Um, and so we, we continue to do jobs and drive revenues during that time, but very um, organized uh, overall. That's not the right word, but, you know, mass and communication and new procedures right. that were implemented immediately. Yeah. So so what was what's the growth? Um... I don't know, curve, projection, whatever, whatever it was. When did you guys, you mentioned earlier, 9, 10, 11, when did you start expanding beyond the location you had and then beyond, uh, you probably, I'm guessing, had a few locations before you even started the franchise model, correct? So so we kind of, yeah, a um, little bit green, you know, early on, but we had the one location that we ran the San Francisco Bay Area in, uh, had some friends who worked for us or with us. I mean, for us, they worked for us, but um, that then wanted to get in the space. So they went and opened down south in San Jose, California, Silicon Valley area um, and kind of started picking up junk. And then we saw their success. And at the same time, knew that we could go into the franchise model one because our numbers were were strong and, and the company was driving revenues and customers were calling or we filling the schedule every day and two because others had done it already um so we didn't like kind of invent that wheel uh as far as franchising the junk removal space so we knew there was a lot of opportunity there so just kind of jumped into it early on but only one corporate location at the time okay and so so when i mean like uh 
over time, give me some a little bit of yeah, yeah. short story, the way it grew, kind of the way you guys bubbled up and started started really so expanding keep, and going franchise. Absolutely. Just kept adding trucks in our own internal market and improving on the marketing side. Um, in 2008-9, decided to take our first employee who is still with us today and, and runs uh, operations. Uh to say, hey, you got to run the local unit. We got to train you to run the local unit because we're going to be so busy franchising our business. Um, we hired the wrong attorneys. So things took about a year. We hired corporate attorneys instead of franchise attorneys. We audited five years of financials instead of opening a new company and auditing one transaction. So a lot of things that we learned the hard way. Um, so it took about a year um, before we you know, decided to sell franchises. And then once you do that, like, how do you sell them? What is Fran Dev? What is, you know, who do you market to? Do you use brokers? Do you not use brokers? What should be the cost of a franchise? What is the value of it? How do you sell territories? And we kind of just learned all that on as, as we went of finding different ways to break down areas. We sold massive territories early on because um, we wanted people like we, we have franchises that own all of Denver, all of Cincinnati, you know, like those areas. Minneapolis, um, which in hindsight, yeah, you you maybe want someone to focus on a smaller territory and do it really well, um, could have been more efficient for them. Now they've scaled and they, they do run that whole market very well. Um, but from an early stage, it's difficult. Our first franchise, aside from the buddies, was um, in Columbus, Ohio. So now we have to open a call center two hours earlier to answer phone calls for one franchise. It's getting, you know three phone calls a day, um, whatever the number was. So sometimes a lot of ignorance in, in that, but we were very focused on just scale and opportunity and growth. Sure. Where, where do, you know, I'm guessing now, well, I'll ask the question, so I won't guess at it. Where do you spend most of your time? Are you still involved with some local or are you primarily operating at the franchise level, overseeing and helping and assisting a lot of the folks that are franchisees? Yeah, all the franchise level. Um, I do get involved in the local a little bit. I'll do, you know, like a not not planned, but sometimes I'm like, we got to talk to the local guys who run these trucks and go over customer service again. And why do we have unclosed estimates? And so we have a really great proprietary software program that we run and we can track all our franchisees and driver revenue and marketing ROI and GPS and routing on the trucks. And I do that um, in the sales process. At the end, I kind of walk everyone through the software and answer questions that may have come up along the time. And so when I do that, I'll recognize things on the local level that I'm like, oh, why is that not fixed? So that's how I get into the local a little bit, but most of it um is corporate um in an office which can be a little bit too much for me um just like looking at call center numbers or fran dev or national accounts or franchisee support um conferences and webinars and things like that so it's like it's definitely on a corporate level at this point fortunately yet sometimes unfortunately it's nice to probably get out on a truck occasionally yeah, I was wondering about that since you talked earlier about how you like to just kind of get out. You're kind of a hands-on worker guy. I was wondering how you deal with moving into the corporate setting. And it sounds like you're doing it and you're doing well, but 
every once in a while you like to get out. And I, I actually think I'll, you have to I'll be take hands a on. project. I'll take a project on at the office, you know, like we're getting new cubicles. I'll help put them all together or we want to connect these two offices. I'm the one who will rip, help rip out the wall and stud it up and do some of those things because it, I just kind of like the project base around it. We got to hang a bunch of signs or something. We, we do those things in-house. Um, it's not to save money. It's just that I'm I'm here and would rather hang the TV on the wall myself um, to get out of the corporate world. Yet I'm still here and can answer questions and, and do my meetings and things like that. So well, I find the, a way to do both. Good thing about it is, is when you take on a job like that, you hang the TV up, you pull out the parts, you get the tools, you set it up. And then when you're done, you could look at it and go, look, I accomplished something today. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, you're right. Then just being in an office all day. Sometimes, um, I yeah. Commend, I commend our call center reps. I'm actually on one of the a headphone today from a call center, not yeah. them individually, but the ones they use. Um, and to sit there and just answer phone calls for eight hours and junking, this is Mike, how may I help you, is such a amazing trait um, that people have and is super important in the growth yeah. of our company, but not something that I could ever do. Sure. In a way. Hey, Michael, yeah. um, what would you say that we've got a lot of listeners that are business owners themselves, and some of them might be musing or thinking about going a franchise model in the not too distant future. What's like a quick tip or two you would advise them? You mentioned some things about lawyers and all earlier, but anything else that you would say, do this, don't do this to someone who's thinking about going well, the direction with expansion? I would say go for it. Um if it's never too late to kind of open your own business and follow your dream from that perspective. I will say if you have a mortgage and kids and life and your expenses are high, that's, that's a little bit more risk than when I started at 25 um, with none of those things. Um, overall, uh, you know, again, hire the right people and, and do those type of things. Surround yourself with uh, individuals. I would say, joining fran a lot of people want to go in business with a business partner um because it's just you don't want to do it alone it's nice to have somebody to bounce ideas off of um what would you do here or there and it's there's maybe this fear of doing something alone that's why i think franchising is so beautiful because you are there's a built-in business partner or there should be if the franchises run the white right way and one with 15 years of experience in that space should be able to answer marketing questions, operational questions. Uh, you know, how do I buy a new truck? How do I get business cards? Whatever the case may be, you have to really look at the franchise system as being your business partner um, and one that has a lot of experience. So that can be really exciting um, to scale your own, and I guess, follow your own dreams. Sure. Yeah. A couple of questions here as we kind of wrap up, and this could be specific or general. We'll, kind of keep it there but let's just say you've got two people that are interested in uh, a, a franchise a junk king franchise and let's just say they both got the money let's say it's not a financial issue what are you looking for what is a characteristic a trait or we don't want this or we want this and and this to me is almost like going back to our leadership conversation but what is it that you are looking for in the type people to lead and run do people want to do business with you and do your employees want to help you grow your business so i think a lot of it is very relational 
um, at that point, um, if you have two people that want to market and like who, who's going to network, who's going to walk into a real estate office and grab people's attention, or they're going to use their services. Who's actually going to go down to the chambers of commerce in that market and try to get involved. Um, those are the people that we want. Now we have some that haven't done that and been very successful and they found ways to incentivize their team members other ways. Um, but I just think if you have a team that wants to help you grow and scale their business unselfishly, do things right because of your leadership, that's really what you're looking for. Kind of hard to pinpoint that. Sure, you'd love people to have looked at P&Ls and balance sheets and understand the finance world very well. Um, but would you rather a marketer slash salesperson? Probably um, in, in that same stance. Yeah, I'm, I don't know if that answers your question. No, it actually does. That's real. But I'm also thinking of like my franchisees who are like finance people who are going to be like, well, Mike said that we don't want finance people. Um, but, you know, we've seen success on both sides. Um, and that's what corporate's for. Like if you don't have the financial element, we can help you understand your P&L and balance sheet and chart of accounts and labor costs and dump fees and where they should all be. We we know that for you. So yeah. your job is to manage your team members and get involved in the community. Um, and so we're looking for those individuals. Yeah. And, and, and it's interesting because I think we see, you know, you guys out in a lot of places. So obviously some of your people or all of them or some of them are doing some great work and getting out. There's, there's an issue that most businesses are dealing with now. And I think if I didn't ask this, I'd be a little remiss because I think we need to kind of understand what organizations are doing. And that is hiring and keeping people is very challenging for many businesses right now. Is that also an issue for your business and industry? And if so, what are you doing to overcome it? I would say half of that is right. Hiring, keeping is never an issue. Um, mm. So it's once people come in and work for so I want to I want to clarify. So you don't have people that are leaving to go somewhere else once they come on board with you. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah. I mean, even corporate staff is all the way down to employees on the trucks. Now, there's sure there's still turnaround um, our drivers versus navigators. There may be a little bit more turnaround in the navigator side. Um, but drivers, employees, we don't really micromanage them. They're kind of running their own day, but yet we're telling them which jobs to go to and how to do it. But we're also not, you know, telling them to go left here and right here and, and breathing down their throat and micromanaging them. Um, we've created great incentives um, for the employees. Customers tip um, nicely. Sometimes they find cool stuff on the trucks um, that they could bring home or, or, or you know, maybe sell on their own to their buddy or neighbor or whatever. So I think once they're in, they it, we have many people that have worked with us for a very long time on the trucks um but it is hard to find people to do a labor job um and want to come in when they could drive an uber or lyft or instacart and be in their car all day with air conditioning and kind of control their start and stop times and those are the challenges that i think have affected most of the labor space i don't think it's the economy as much I think it's the freedom of some of these other job opportunities where you can turn your day on and off and go pick up your kids or or do this or do that. And it's just the flexibility is great. Now, the pay probably isn't nearly as good, but sometimes the time and flexibility is more important to people. But once you come on board, it, we, we normally retain. 
Oh, that's good to know. It's it's very interesting what you just brought up that I didn't realize it was a perk that you could possibly get some pretty darn good stuff out of this oh. gig because people are getting rid of some really good stuff. Oh, I mean, it's not all junk, right? No, it's not. I mean, my wife doesn't want me to bring stuff home anymore because we could buy a new couch. <laughs> but many of the guys on the trucks, you know, you pick up a brand new leather couch, you're swapping one for the next like every six months or three months. Um, I did a house clean out uh, video It's kind of a funny story. So we, we our COO wants to do a lot of videos on how to do everything in the business um, so people can go check out videos. We've made many jokes in house on this is super elementary and you don't need to show someone how to do this. It's this ongoing kind of joke between us. But it, in, in good heart, she was right. Um, we should do more videos. But I did a house clean out. Um, for a customer that they let us video the whole house clean out and I went and did a video and blah, blah, blah. It's the first time I've been on trucks in a while. And I had a pile of stuff that I was bringing home from that house. Like they're like, Mike, what do you bring? I'm like, these are for breeze bottles still sealed. Three of them as a pack from wherever you buy them, Costco, Target, wherever. Like, why would I just toss it? Like they're so I took those home and you know, little things like that. Um, you find stuff on the trucks like all the time, all day, every day. People get rid of old golf clubs, uh, couch, everything, everything, you name it. Um, people will, will dispose of it. So uh, I'm going to, in just a moment, I'm going to ask how people can get in touch for either the services or if they're interested in franchise. But I, I just had a thought. This is kind of like my getting close to last question. Many people would not consider the industry, the business you're in, to be a very sexy business. Um, and so you mentioned hiring, you, and we've talked about expanding franchise and all of that. Is there anything that you say or do or can bring up to kind of overcome the person that's looking to go into, I don't know, some other kind of quote-unquote sexy industry when yeah, junk no, may not be sexy. What would you tell somebody that says, man, it's not very sexy. I don't know if I want to do that and tell my friends that's what I do. You know, it's kind of interesting because I take so much pride in it um, that it doesn't really scare me, but I know exactly what you're saying. There are franchise prospects that come in and some that for the first five years of owning their junk business, they'll talk about their previous lifestyle and, and job or career because they're still not like – grasping that they're junk guys um but i can tell you i have a lot of friends in private equity and venture capital and software and all that and a lot of them are like mike you got the coolest job ever um you know and they're because they're kind of grinding out they're getting on airplanes they're always looking at financials and raising money or whatever they're doing right so they can appreciate it i i just think owning your own business and having that freedom and certainly the service world um, not many of the service world is sexy. Plumbers, electricians, painters, um, pressure washing, house cleaning. None of it is sexy, but a lot of people have scaled those companies. And I think if you're scared of the sexiness from it, we probably don't want you as a franchisee. I mean, mm. to be kind of straight and point from the beginning. Yeah. yeah I know that sounds kind of harsh, but that's like we want people who like embrace it and love it and like the recycling part of it and the and the customer service side. Like not, no day is ever the same. Um, I know my one of my issues is I know 80 realtors. So if I ever buy or sell a house, I'm pissing off 79 of them. Um, so it's just but that's great. You know what I mean? That's like that's why we're in it is to build relationships as well. So, yeah, and that's yeah, a it, 
It's a good response because, listen, if someone can't see, you mentioned plumbers and electricians. I mean, listen, that's the work that has to get done, and the people that do it are going to make some money. Some of this other stuff's going to come and go, and, and also some of it seems like what the news and media picks up on. But uh, anyway, I, so I, some very, very skilled individuals, um, you know, I I don't mind that at all. Like I, I, I really want people to kind of open their own business and control their own life and whatever aspect that is. And sometimes service um, can be easier than opening a marketing company um, uh, overall. And so, yeah, I have a lot of respect for the trades, uh, union trades, uh, service world, um, a lot of hard work. A lot of dealing with customers and, and what comes with dealing with customers, um, good, bad, and ugly. So, yeah, it is kind of uh, not seen as pretty, but we I enjoy it. We enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. All right. Uh, last two quick things here. I believe that people listening in, there might be a couple of levels of people that would love to connect with you. And I'm going to let you do that verbally. We'll include it down in the notes also. I think there are people, and this might be a big crowd, that's sitting here going, dang, I need to find out if they've got a location near me because I need somebody to come take a load of stuff or drop a dumpster off or something like that. So I'm going to ask you to give that. And then also there might be some folks that are saying, I would like to find out more about getting this business myself. So tell us verbally where people need to go. We'll include it. And then I've got one final question before we wrap up. No problem. So our website is www.junk-king.com dot com um and you can book jobs there we have a online booking form you don't have to talk to anybody if you don't want to that said our call center is open 365 days of the year so call us and talk to us about pricing or opportunity or how we come out and haul your junk and the services just give us a call at 888-888-JUNK junk is spelled 5865 so that's 888-888-5865 um and for franchising, uh, we have a tab on that same website, uh, junk-king.com. Um, just click on the franchising tab, and we will get back to you immediately. Excellent. Thank you, Michael. This has been a great conversation. My final question, we are seek, go, create those three words. I'm going to give you one of those words. You could pick it that resonates with you or means more to you right now. Which one of those words and why? And that's my final question. Go. And why? Yeah, that, that's easy. Um, I never seek or, or, re, or research or do any of that kind of stuff. I'm all about go. Um, I'm a very impulsive person, which sometimes works the wrong way. I don't research things well enough. But if I see an opportunity, it's go, 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 go. That's just kind of the way I live my life. Um, and I have to surround myself with good people, um, either at the corporate world or at home that can slow the go down a little bit. Like, that's probably a bad idea. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm definitely a go person. Scale, go, growth, opportunity um, over, over the other two. Uh, but I can appreciate them both because at some point you, you need all three at some point. But I would say my original gut is go. Excellent. Thank you, Michael. Yeah. I appreciate it. And I have loved having this conversation, a long conversation about – 
a lot of junk and stuff and business related to it. And I think that's pretty cool. If you are listening in and you may know someone that has interest in any of the topics we've discussed, I'm going to encourage you to do something, take a step and share this episode. If you're listening on your podcast player, take a screenshot or you might be able to share it directly from the podcast player. Or if you're on social or YouTube, one of those places watching, listening in, you could share pretty easily from there because there may be someone who's interested in a franchise. There may be someone who's interested in eliminating some stuff or just the the good, what I'll call hardcore business strategies and principles that Michael discussed. I appreciate the mindset and the work ethic that he shared. That to me spoke volumes and I believe other people need to hear that message also. So share this and make sure you get the word out. Help us do that. Again, we've got new episodes every Monday. So keep listening in and until next time, continue being all that you were created to be.